You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everybody. Today, my guest is Justin Schmidt, the VP of Marketing at Capacity. And Justin is uh, Capacity, by the way, is an enterprise artificial intelligence SaaS company that's focused on helping teams do their best work. Capacity is a new kind of help desk powered by artificial intelligence that automatic that automates support for your customers and employees. Prior to joining Capacity, Justin has spent the last 15 plus years in various marketing leadership roles with extensive experience in digital marketing and publishing operations. In each career stop, Justin has focused on bringing innovative products to market with a data-driven approach that is laser-focused on optimization. Justin lives in St. Louis with his wife and two children. When he's not working, he enjoys playing music, gaming, reading sci-fi, and spending time with his family. All right, Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Paris. So, Justin, I want to start off with just understanding a little bit about your career progression to date. Mm -hmm and what has eventually brought you to Capacity. I know that you spent many years previous to Capacity, you spent many years over at Multiply. Yep. Um, can you just talk to me a little bit about your career progression and what you've taken uh, from different companies along the way to get you to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, I started, when I went to college, I started as a computer science major. And, you know, at the at the risk of dating myself here and I in the in the late 90s computer science hasn't wasn't quite as uh, air quote sexy as it as it is now and the coursework and just the way it was taught and the possibilities that I were was was given as a you know 18 year old kid or whatever wasn't that exciting and I lost interest and switched to to marketing and I was I bring that up because that appreciation of computer science and, and software engineering is stuck with me throughout my journey. And, and that like, oh, you know, we can, as best as we can quantitatively break down a lot of the challenges, a lot of the opportunities in marketing. So, you know, obviously there's some, there's, you know, the creative process and, and messaging and some of that stuff really needs to be more qualitatively driven, but you can measure it quantitatively and you can optimize for it. So I've always, I've always sort of been in that kind of mindset. The other thing that I was very fortunate to have very early on in my career been put in leadership roles. So one of my first, you know, quote unquote, real jobs was leading a small marketing team at a um, video production and e-commerce store. So being able to see the bird's eye view early on, plus having that eye towards you can optimize your way in and out of everything, um, really kind of put me on a path to seek opportunities where that was um, apparent. So, you know, you, you'd mentioned a little bit when we were chatting back and forth before the show about how you know, the, the, like what it means to sort of stay at a place for a while. I mean, I was at Answers Multiply for 10 years. I was probably the 30, I don't know, 33rd employee. And I was there through all the growth up to our exit in 2014. When we sold the business for $900 million to a private equity firm. I was there during the chapter 11, three years later, the emergence, um, six-ish six -ish months after that chapter 11, and then ultimately left when, um, you know, eventually wanted to do something else. And it was a really interesting journey to be able to apply the bird's eye view appreciation that I had from prior stops with the eye towards optimization to a very like data rich opportunity to grow a business and lead a team. And 
that experience there, I guess the best way I could put it is, is like you, you go through something like that and you've, you kind of lived every part of a business life cycle and, and you've had, you know, five MBAs and lived, you know, a thousand years of life in, in a 10 year period, kind of going through everything we did there, the, the meteoric rise and the fall and the reemergence and all that. And that, that just really kind of put me in a position. And again, I'm very fortunate for all of this to be able to kind of step into a new situation, leading a SaaS marketing team. I don't have a ton of experience in SaaS. I've been doing it, you know, for several years now and I've been a customer of SaaS companies for a long time. So there's a, the appreciation there, but, but I've been very fortunate in my career to have been put in a position where I can easily apply all of these skills that I've learned over the years and take an approach that, that I think, in my opinion, not every marketer does. And that's really keep that eye towards the quantitative aspects of, of the discipline. Can you talk a little bit more about how you're managing the team there at capacity? And uh, first of all, how many people are on your marketing team? Yeah, we're a small but mighty team. So mm-hmm. from marketing specifically, we have four people. There's myself. Um, we have a director of marketing um, and, and then a marketing specialist and a graphic designer. We then outsource our front-end web development. Um, we have an events person we work with. But one thing that's a little different about what we do, and one thing that I feel all SaaS companies should do, is we have a CRO that I report to. And in my organization, in addition to marketing, is also revenue operations. So marketing ops and sales ops report to the same director of revenue operations reports to me. And what's really interesting about this is that, especially in B2B, marketing, you know, traditionally, again, air quotes, um, traditionally, marketing's job sort of ends at the MQL, and then it's tossed over the fence to sales and you know, whatever happens, happens, right? Um, I think the, I think it's, it's, it's a real issue, not having some portion of sales and marketing under the same leadership, because that like, People listening to this, I'm sure everyone has heard that, you know, there's healthy friction between sales and marketing. I think that's, that's, that's bullshit. You should have really tight alignment and good working relationships between sales and marketing. Putting them in the same org or some portion of them in the same org really helps facilitate that. And specifically on the RevOps side, visibility into down funnel stages makes a big difference, right? Like ultimately marketing goes out and procures leads not to get leads they, they procure leads to, to, to get customers right yeah i mean it's I'm like it's chuckling as i say this it's so obvious but i don't think organizational design that separates marketing and sales facilitates that so so we have sales ops reports into marketing which i know is a maybe a little unique but um the longer we've been doing it the more i'm convinced this is the right way for um, teams to be organized. Mm-hmm. How many how many salespeople are there? Oh, salespeople. We have three, uh, two quota carrying account executives, and um, two ISRs assigned. You know, sort of working with those quota carrying executive uh, account executives, and then our VP of partnerships um, sort of works a lot of deals as well. So. Okay. Yeah. Four or five, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to know if I, I do fully agree that having an org structure that integrates marketing and sales is one of the keys to to getting that alignment right. Do any of them have shared KPIs across across marketing and sales functions? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. I kind of do, given the fact that the sales operations reports into me, but. Our marketing people specifically, excuse me, don't. Um, but but that's not by uh, next year. I think we will, right? Like we're 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 a, we're a growing, small but mighty team here. 
Um, you know, we've, you know, we're still early in the, in the company life cycle as a startup and like all early stage companies, we're sort of building this airplane as we fly it. And one of the things that I think we have started to do more this year that we weren't doing as much going into the planning for 2021 and, you know, third quarter 2020 was a lot of those really tight KPI alignment. So my team is responsible for some pipeline generation, um, but I don't have my marketing specialist necessarily like, like she doesn't, you know, she's not gold to increase opportunity close rate necessarily. Right. Um, but this is something that I, that I, that I want to explore to figure out a way to, to, to align the incentives beyond, you know, we're all trying to build a growing company here. So it's a, it's a good question and one that one that I would like to explore be, because that alignment drives everything and KPIs while they can change in a startup environment like y- you should still have enough rigidity might not be the right word but structure within your KPIs so that you 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 really funnel people's attention towards that growth. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, I want to pivot over to the to the product to capacity. Yeah. And one of the things that immediately struck me was that this has so many use cases, just dozens of use cases that both could be client for client facing roles for internal roles. The first question I have internally: I mean, how do you uh, cope with that as a as the marketing team? You've got so many use cases. You probably need yeah. to generate case studies across all those use cases. How do you prioritize the use cases and generally how, how do you see the, the breakout? Are more, more people using this for customer facing yeah. or, or internal? And, and how do you think about the prioritization across so many use cases? Well, it's, if, if I had hair, it'd be a lot of hair on fire moments. And I'm, and I'm sure there's, there's, there's gray ones in here if I let it grow out. But um, the... It's a really good question. And this is something that's been top of mind for me a lot lately. So we are in the middle of a brand repositioning, not a rebrand. We did that a few years ago. We went from Jane.ai to capacity and went from point solution to product suite. But the next evolution of this is into a platform. And platforms, let's take ServiceNow as an example. I could pick a million other ones, but ServiceNow is a good ServiceNow is a good corollary to what we're aspiring to do. That's a a platform can be used across, like a, it's a horizontal in nature um, play, but you can verticalize the implementations in the go to market. So when we were first putting together a lot of what ultimately ended up on our website, we said let's let's launch a wide breadth of uh, use cases and industries and, 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 and like let's set a lot of glue traps for a wide stretch of SEO effectively. And let's see what, what starts to uh, matriculate in. Let's see where the sales team starts having success. And then we'll hone in and double click on the verticalizations that, that, that work. So we have a lot of use cases, a lot of you know, internal teams, external teams. We have a lot of collateral that we made early on around that stuff. The business will ultimately grow into, I think we'll have cohorts of customers and all those plus ones that we don't have up there at all yet. But we're starting to see the veins of success and we've, and we've, we've pushed in further in those. And the brand repositioning I mentioned earlier moving to a platform uh, literally before the we we got on air here i was was talking with my team and our and our web developer we're launching a new menu and a, and a bit of a taxonomy change to really focus in more on our our key areas of growth and sort of not for lack of a better word deprioritize some of the stuff that that is still too nascent to really earn top billing so long story short most of our early stage customers are using capacity in a bit of a mixed scenario. So we've got 
you know, people who are deploying the chatbot on the website, and we've got a lot of people who are deploying it internally to do um, workflow automations and, and some of the deeper platform stuff. Um, we have a good uh, uh, cohort of customers in the mortgage business. That's a that's a um, a leading one. Education, higher education specifically, is a is a big growing line of business for us. And then the sort of general enterprise makes up the makes up the the last bit of it. So long winded way of saying. We made the, the intentional decision to start wider, maybe a little shallower than, than you would like, but wanted to collect data on where, where are we able to sort of poke through and then align that with what the sales team is experiencing. And, and the next step then is, is sort of connecting those two and, and, and really digging deeper into one of those veins. Yeah, I really like that you... Their, your description of moving from a point solution to a platform, I think that that reframes the the entire thought process around use cases. Uh, and and I do like that you were open minded enough at the beginning to say, let's, as you say, set a lot of glue traps, and also let, let's give SEO an opportunity to to show us where we're getting traction, and let's follow let's follow the data once we start getting that data. I think that's a great. It's a great mindset to have that a lot of companies don't always have, um, which is that in in a lot of ways, um, let's put out the best content we can. Let's see, you know, what what Google is going to reward us or not. Let's combine that with really analyzing how our our initial customers are really using the product. And let's just trust that process. Let's trust that that it's going to show us the way. Exactly. And, and not just not just Google, right? I mean, a, 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 a hop away from Google, you have the Capteras and G2s of the world. That's right. Um, yeah. And, you know, good for them for building a, a good sort of search arbitrage business with all of us SaaS companies. But yeah, <laughs> the, I mean, great business. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that is a good like if you are going to, you know, taste or split test the SaaS landscape, those are interesting places to look, right? Like mm-hmm. I can tell you just from having, you know, ran some experiments and, and advertising in Captera, for example, the help desk category, way more competitive from a bid landscape perspective than something like um, conversational AI, right? Like mm-hmm. like the, the a good Q, late Q3 CPC on help desk and Captera is 350 400 500 mm-hmm. where in conversational ai like bid whatever you want there's just not a lot of volume there um yeah. the other thing that's interesting too is sales we, we run a pretty um a pretty sophisticated outbound sales motion and early on we also ran a very broad sort of high volume a, you know someone who grew up in the sales discipline we would call it like a high velocity sale uh, outbound operation sent mm-hmm. a lot of emails you know, pulled a lot of records out of Zoom info and ran a lot of sequences, that kind of thing. And you can kind of, you know, touch a lot of different categories and roles and test a lot of different messaging. You can sort of use all those shots on goal to calcify what what ultimately works. Um, and you know, one of the one of the risks mm-hmm. to this, and this is kind of when you said how do I how do you manage? And I kind of want to say <laughs> barely, but um, you do end up creating maybe a lot of work for yourself and setting up that wide berth but you know content these days you know you can you can work with a good outsourcing firm to get good skeletal bones created that then you have uh, an sme subject matter expert internally you know massage mm-hmm. into something you, you're you're comfortable with 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 posting um mm-hmm. you can you can you can taste those different avenues fairly simply relative to what you could, you know, five, six, seven years ago before, before the content business has settled into where it is now. I think if you tried the approach we did and say the content farm era, if you will, of mm-hmm. 2010 through 15 or something like that, like yeah. the results would be so shitty. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to like the sophisticated B2B, B2B buyer would, would land on a, you know, e-how, not to throw shade, your, but you know well, what I mean. You're right? damaging like, your brand with that kind of stuff. Yeah, those days. Exactly. I remember them. And 
And this was garbage content, basically. It so, was garbage content, but like yeah. it was real easy to get to rank. You could, and, yeah, you could, you could do it, yeah. And you could, you could, you could also, um, you could also buy buy links and point them. Yes, to those exactly, exactly, and, exactly. Yeah. Fortunately, we're, we're we're that's all in in the rearview mirror now. Thank goodness, right? Yeah. Um, and um, I was ju- I was checking you all out on G two, and and it's it's interesting that G two has you in a category called. Q and A platforms, which I find yeah. a little bit curious. Yeah, do you that, think you belong there, or do you think you belong in a in another category? We've we've you know if, if any people from G two are listening, my offer to help you create a new category called support automation still stands. Um, ah, okay. Yeah, they so it's in it's those G two and Captera are, are it's a really interesting dynamic between those two because they're both taking I should say Gartner and, and G two are both taking very different approaches to this, right? Captera is a CPC model. G2 is the like the enhanced profile and some sort of like, you know, they'll, they'll give you intent data and other sort yeah. of like platform data where whereas Captera is like, look, if if, if you want if, if you want traffic from us, like we rank yeah. we it's rank on the play. keywords you want. Pet, yeah, yeah, what you tell me your bid, which I kind of appreciate in some degree because it's sort of so straightforward. Um mm-hmm. the the way they excuse me, have, have created the taxonomy around their directories are just very different, right? So like when I first, I think the the first category we put ourselves in anywhere was was knowledge base on Captera. And then, you know, the rep reaches out to me and I was like, well, we're trying to build this platform that, you know, yada, 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 yada. Um, how many categories can I get put in? She's like, well, how many do you think you need? And then, you know, built out this big old document sort of like justifying our existence and all of these and mm-hmm. ran through the same process with G2 and the way G2 works they're you know, maybe just to their credit, they're a little more tightly, a little more tightly controlled on where they put you. And that's, mm-hmm. that's just sort of where we ended up. Yeah, I see. Um, and I have to note something here that there's only one review. Yeah, we've, so. we, that's yeah. So, this is another interesting thing about this, right? They have their incentivized review plot programs that they do. And I, I would, I'm very curious, you know, if you've seen any success with these, but, you know, as someone who gets a lot of emails from them to fill out a review for my Starbucks card or whatever it is, um, we, when we first set all that stuff up, we were so early on and everything that like, I don't have the luxury HubSpot does where you can kind of like walk into a SaaS conference and be like, who uses HubSpot? And, you know, 4,000 people raise their hand or whatever. So mm-hmm. it, it was, it was harder to get reviews without like doing something black hat to get those. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so ultimately what we did was we emailed our own customer base to, um, review us and then we worked with them to do like some sort of you know lower 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 budget program to try to get it started and i prioritized captera because with captera i could just i could bid my way into visibility whereas with Mm -hmm. g2 i could not so we have more reviews on captera than we have on g2 but that's something i want to change um just as you know, like you, you, you stack rank your priorities and you kind of tackle what you can. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever tried the intent data from G2? To see if they yeah, that's an, ABM. G, G2, no, but we've, we've, we, we're a zoom info customer. Um, so we got when that when actually we are a discover org customer and then, you know, right. Yeah, another, they, another, that's another talk about another well-run company. Um, when they merged, we, 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 you know, got some of the intent data there and our sales team, our sales mm-hmm. team uses that. And, you know, we, we do as well for account selection and all the, all the typical stuff you would, you would expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to get back to the content marketing yeah. approach because it sounds like you have an interesting division of labor going on between what you said, SMEs, subject matter experts who can massage a, a piece of content, but that the heavy lifting, you outsource that. Did I get that right? You you did. I, sh- I should clarify one thing. We outsourced a lot of the base layer stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, we outsourced, you know, maybe a good portion of like the guides that we built. Yeah. And and then, you know, we 
sort of spent, we spent a lot of, I want to be like very clear to everybody, like we spent a lot of time making sure what came back fit the brand voice, wasn't, you know, speaking on a turn, all that other stuff. So like they're, they're probably 40% of the work was on our end, making sure we adequately briefed the riders that we worked with. We were real stingy about what riders and, and, and people we worked with. As the the land was done there, mm-hmm. the most of the stuff that we get now is from a much um, a much more tightly knit and vetted et cetera um, pool of of writers. Plus, we write a bunch of stuff internally. Mm-hmm. So so it's it's you know we we do take a this is probably my publishing background coming in a little bit on figuring out how to scale content mm-hmm. so you know it's it, it, most of what we have created in the last we'll call it 6 7 months is is a lot more um a lot more tightly controlled if that makes any sense controlled's not the right mm-hmm. word a lot more tightly um managed yeah. So you, you must have some writers that have, even, even if they're freelancers that you've identified them and they, yes. they, they, you formed a team. Yep. Yeah. I think that's important. It's exactly and right. Over, over time, they're going to get to know the product better, the landscape better. It's going to make the editorial process a lot smoother. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and it's, you know, it, it's a little work up front to, to find who you're going to be working with, but mm-hmm. um, we have them. And, you know, it, one thing I'm very excited about is over time, we will optimize where we see the most benefit. So it's, if you and I did a, you know, catch up here in a couple of years, there may be guides that are retired and all, you know, 301 into something else, right? Um, mm-hmm. when, when, when a lot of the site navigation stuff that we're rolling out today gets done, like that stuff will be deprioritized. And I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to sort of like take a little bit of approach to sort of like leave leave the possibilities open and then start narrowing in versus the other way around. I mean, time will tell. Yeah. Um, I certainly hope capacity is successful and I'm very you know invested in, in that success and I believe in the product. But um, time will tell on, on the success rate here. But um, it, it's good, I think, to have an open mind to try different things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, one approach that we've seen some success with, with with our own content marketing team is when when we're not really sure where we're going to get traction, we lead with some relatively shorter pieces of content so we can increase the frequency. Yep. Because if that had been say eight, ten years ago in the in the content farm days, it was a. I remember the days when everybody said that you have to be at five hundred words, and then and then they said you had to be at a thousand words. I don't think any of that matters anymore. I think you can actually Correct. test short, shorter form, Correct. but still really on point content. But you, because it's shorter form, you can get it out faster, and then you can basically apply the the eighty twenty or the ninety ten rule, which is that maybe ten percent of that stuff you'll actually see traction on, and Google's going to rank it, and you're going to you're going to see that catch. Most, and yep, then yep. you build long form content on the back back of just that ten percent. Yes, that, that's that exactly right. The traction. That's exactly right, and and there is. That's why we have a, a lot of Q and A on the in, within the guides that we've built, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. just Q and A. I mean, yeah. again, like I'm biased just coming from the the, the sort of g- glory days of Answers.com, but um, people ask a lot of questions on Google, and you're exactly right. Like early on, you know, the, the example I always use was how tall is Michael Jordan? Well, the answer is six foot six, right? So like you can't necessarily make a 750 word um, article yeah. on Michael Jordan being six foot six inches, then you'll get, mm-hmm. you'll get like an even more ludicrous example or version of what like recipe blogs are today. Right. Like you have like mm-hmm. 15 paragraphs of backstory and you finally get the recipe. And it's like, look, I respect the SEO game. But can we please just get, get right to the recipe? Yeah. Um, but, but I agree with you that now um, from an, in, from an understanding user intent and providing the best possible experience to users, Google doesn't care if you have light content on something. First off, they're just going to pull it from your site and put it straight in search results and they'll never. Yeah, you're, not, you're not even going to get the click anymore. anyway, but yeah. um, they have their data. If that search worked and if that search worked for the user, because mm-hmm. they, you know, they did they, the, the follow-up queries were, were such that they, 
they know they did their job. Um, mm-hmm. You're not going to get penalized for creating value, even if it's like snackable short form. Absolutely. Value. Yeah. Yeah. I think this whole notion of uh, thin content, it's, it's a thing of the past. If you do have the, actually, if you have the tightest and best answer and, and the, in some cases, brevity is, is absolutely the way to go. Yeah, um, yeah, I think Google now Google has their signals. If you're if you're going to if you didn't get a good experience and you have to revise your search query, um, you know I think these types of signals will say, all right, Google will rethink its instant answer here. But more and more, we had a good debate on um, the my last podcast guest was the, um, Tim Solo of Ahrefs, and mm. yeah, and, and uh, great product, yeah, excellent, excellent product. It's, it's our favorite in our in our toolbox. And and he's he seems pretty upset by the fact that Google has really stopped to send sending as much traffic out. And I think it's okay because on a mobile device, especially, and and now the the majority of of searches happen on mobile. Uh, the, the user experience it, it needs to be different. P- people just need those quick answers in those micro in those micro moments, and they don't necessarily want to navigate to uh, maybe some pretty crappy mobile websites and then try to dig through a thousand words of uh, non-optimized, non-mobile right. friendly text. They, they don't want that experience. And I understand that, that Google is all about solving for the user. And I don't think Google ever made an explicit promise to any publishers anywhere that we will send you traffic as long as you let us uh, you know, basically index all of your content. I don't think Google ever assumed that they made that promise, but publishers... No seem to have assumed that. Well, well, so this is interesting. As, as somebody who in my prior life was very dependent on Google and then they algoed us into a position where we ended up being very dependent on Facebook who then algoed us into a position where, you know, we, we, we had to do some restructuring of the business. Oh, that's like, interesting. Yeah. Like I, I know what it's like to get hooked on the fire hose that a platform can provide a, a and I, and by platform, I don't, I, I mean, Google, Facebook, you know, TikTok, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And, and B2B world, Captera, if that's where all your leads come. And, and the, the important thing here is to diversify your channels and to create value for your prospects slash customers, every stage of the buyer cycle and every channel that matters. And like, you gotta be flex. If, if you're really providing value if you're if you're truly providing value through product and you truly understand your buyer's journey well enough, this might be this might be my hot take of the day. Then the channel dependency becomes that's like your problem. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and you there's always going to be a new channel, a new tech. I mean, think of think of this. Two years ago, I wasn't getting LinkedIn conversation ads every single day offering me a DoorDash card to take a meeting, right? Now that's, that's, that's like the, the big, that's one of the big hot tactics in B2B lead yeah, gen, it is. right? It is. Yeah. And that, and eventually that's going to, something else will happen. And at the end of the day, if you provide value and you understand your customer, then the content you create and the channels you, you, you distribute that in and the, and the leads you generate and the talk tracks and thought leadership and all the other stuff that, that we do as marketers, the opportunities will open themselves up for you. Yeah, don't get too dependent. I, I absolutely on agree. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I think what you what you described, I can probably even uh, guess on the, the timeline of that. So when it was pre Facebook, th- these are, these were the days when you really could you could crank out content, build links to it, rank it, and then you could find yourself really hooked on organic search traffic, and a lot oh, of people. Yeah had 80, 90% of their, of their traffic coming purely from organic search. And if something happened, if that fell off a cliff, they, they were screwed. And there were businesses that failed ultimately when- Industries. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Industries even. Um, and, and I guess they always knew that they were inherently, they were taking that risk and, and things could change. But when, when times were good, they were really good. And then Facebook came along and there was a window of several years of true organic reach on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And the name of the game there was just a mass, a huge fan base of followers because it was, it was akin to getting an email address. Once you've got that, you've got lifetime access to this person. Yep. Facebook started winding that down. And then, so I think the people that got a little bit um, 
if if they really got a little bit too addicted to to those sources as single sources, I I think that's just way too much risk. And um, and now I guess I can see a lot of it moving to LinkedIn in the B two B space. Um, I also get I also get a ton of messages and things on LinkedIn now. LinkedIn, I believe, still provides pretty good organic reach. I mean, I, I'm experiencing yes. it with my content, and I've heard yep. from a lot of people also. But I think you've got to be able to look at recent history and see that the writing's on the wall, that this is this is a window like everything else, and it mm-hmm. will close. And you've got to be thinking one or two steps ahead to what comes next. Yep. Um, ultimately, LinkedIn is going to try to build up its ad business. I think already the, the, the starting CPCs are, in those auctions are very high in LinkedIn. So I think that they're all, they're trying to make it pretty, pretty uh, pricey and, and exclusive right out of the gate. But eventually, LinkedIn organic reach is is going to start winding down, and and we saw we're seeing that happening even with Instagram right now. TikTok mm-hmm. gives you a lot of reach now, but I think these platforms are going to give this this type of a reach to build up a critical mass, and then they've got to make transition to monetization, and that's when they're going they're going to wind down that organic reach. And I think as marketers, we just have to see those patterns because there's always going to be another platform coming mm-hmm. that's going to challenge the status quo. And in order to break through and to get that critical mass, they've got to they've got to give that organic reach. So I see what you're saying. I mean, you really need to make sure that people are moving across these platforms and you you have to have a certain table stakes presence in all the platforms. You've got to get your your content. It's got to be it's got to be found in all these platforms, and then you just have to see these patterns of all right, where should I really, as a B two B marketer right now, should I really be making most of my efforts with LinkedIn while I know that I'm in this organic reach window, and it might last another year, maybe it might last another two years, but then I need to I need to keep my eye on what's coming next. Maybe that's intent data, or maybe that's some sort of first party data solution because I think also this is, I think this is going to blindside a lot of marketers in in the next probably year which is the third party cookies are going away and a lot of people don't quite appreciate what that's really going to mean. I mean, that, that yeah. actually really kills remarketing. A lot of the, uh, a lot of my former colleagues and, you know, obviously I know a lot of people in the, in the sort of media space still like iOS 14.5 and some of the looming, you know, when, when the, in, in the United States, when the democratic and Republican, um, senators can start agreeing on something you know it's real and like some of this like big tech you know a lot of the a lot of the conversations around there a lot of the privacy forward stuff that apple's forcing their competitors into and et cetera, et cetera. like this is it is going to be a rough a rough um rough go of it but what's interesting mm-hmm. though and this is something that that like as you were as you were saying it, it popped in my head what's 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 happening here And that's like, when you think of what a brand is, right? A brand is the intersection of a organization trying to set forth the identity and ideals of what they're doing and the perception of those attempts by anyone not inside the organization, right? Like that's when a brand happens. So brand is a brand is really the manifestation of, of perception of something. And if you, if you really try to work to understand that and how you can apply that to all these other channels, it just gets a lot easier when you have to pivot from one to the other. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of the guiding thesis early on in capacity is like, let's, we want to build a big, hairy, powerful, you know, like this is a this is going to be a big powerful SaaS platform, and like it's going to be a that's going to be a like a, a lot of work along the way, right? You don't get to be a multi billion dollar, you get to be a multi billion dollar SaaS company by one of two ways: either a you build a big platform, or b you catch lightning in a bottle, either Zoom style where you're you know you 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 hit mm-hmm. this this black swan event where all of a sudden your business you know octuples in size or whatever it is, or you mm-hmm. nail product market fit so well like a calendly or slack or something that like it kind of mm-hmm. doesn't matter what you do yeah. um, and, I, and, I, and i don't want to discount anything that the calendly or slack teams do but like they nailed product market fit for what they're doing um mm-hmm. the journey along the way to that multi-billion dollar big big SaaS company is a platform and like the brand that we're trying to build is what's so important there and 
you've got to be willing to to test things and read the perception of those ideals to, to my earlier my, my earlier point and mm-hmm. and 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 double click on what works and back off from what doesn't yeah i love that 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 was very very well put and and i think it's uh, it kind of elevates you, it elevates you above the platforms when you're when you have a north star like that yes and yes yes and as you said if you could you could really move fluidly across the platforms and if some change the rules and it, it almost doesn't matter so you're not trying to you're not trying to fit your brand into a particular channel and and um just to try to maximize that channel i mean you're really just you're you're bringing more of a i don't know let, let's say you're you're bringing your content into those platforms on on equal terms across all, all exactly the and and that's not to say marketers shouldn't take advantage of a platform and and like look if you if you find yourself with a ticket on a gravy train get on that damn thing you know what i mean but yeah just be ready <laughs> yeah when it comes off the tracks you can find another one absolutely Yeah, go ahead. Yep. Uh, well, th- this this has been fantastic, and I think uh, really you've got some very very deep and profound views on this, and um, I can I can see why you've had the success, particularly with content marketing at capacity. You're too kind. Thank uh, you. I think you've I think you've figured out the right strategy. You've built the right team. You've got the right workflows, and you have a very deep understanding of the brand that you want to build. So. Um, congrats on the success so far and, and I'll wish you all the best, uh, going forward. So Justin is, is there anything that I didn't ask you that, that you wanted me to ask you, or is there anything that, anything else that you, you think our audience should know? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the one thing, the one other thing that I've, uh, the one other stake that I've planted in the ground that, and this is, this is a, this is a hill I will defend. Like you'll have to carry me off on my shield on this one. And that is, I am coming from a very operation, like marketing, engineering, marketing, you know, in, in the B2B world, you know, you know mm-hmm. we would call it marketing ops and, and B2C and direct response and affiliate and publishing and all that. You maybe call it something slightly different, but I'm going to call it marketing ops and, and revenue operations for the sake of this discussion. I am convinced after as being an outsider coming then coming into the SaaS world, most marketing and sales orgs are doing a massive disservice to their operations teams. And there's more like people, especially at the, at at the marketing leadership level, just sort of like refuse to bother to understand how much work goes into like a well-run Marketo Salesforce handoff and the reporting and making sure all the leads are tracked and the, data flows properly and all that stuff. I like I'm convinced that that is criminally underappreciated in SaaS. So the thing that I would implore everyone to do if they don't like if they've never I'm going to take Marketo for example. If you've never made a Marketo program, fought with their smart campaign interface, screwed up some sort of giant um change data value step and and sent the wrong email or did some sort of operational heavy lift. If you've never done that, like get, uh, go into your sandbox environment and like learn how that thing actually works because the appreciation you'll have for, Oh, we did a trade show and we got, we scanned X number of badges and collected Y number of business cards. Like I'm going to go, you know, think of my next, like, tagline or whatever strategic direction or whatever it is that we marketing leaders pretend we're um, born to do um, without understanding the process that goes through turning all that stuff into customers, you will miss mm-hmm. so many opportunities to optimize your conversion funnel. Remember, if you have a, your the, the, the revenue generating event for any business is ultimately what you're optimizing for. And all the steps in the funnel on that along that route have a conversion rate. You have a conversion rate between lead and MQL, between MQL and SQL, between SQL and opportunity, between opportunity and close. You have conversion rates between, I don't know, 
business case and proposal sent or whatever you call it inside your opportunity funnel. And if you know what those conversion rates are, then you know ways you can optimize them. And before you know it, if you make a 5% increase in your lead to MQL conversion rate and a 5% increase in your opportunity close rate and a 5% increase in your SQL to opportunity. I went backwards there, but you get, you get my point. Yeah, sure. You've, you've created 15 percentage points of lift on the whole mm-hmm. thing. Well, yeah. now I can go from, again, I'm going to be really reductive here, bidding $100 to $115 for a click. And that could be all the difference between fourth position and third position, which could be mm-hmm. the difference in getting traffic and not, right? So yeah. all of that starts with understanding like what the hell happens once a lead comes in. And when that happens, it goes to like really smart, capable people who are, you know, they're the, they're the marketing org equivalent of, you know, the people in the engine room shoveling coal into the, you know, giving it all I got. She's all she's got, Captain. Um, <laughs> and 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 it's it's just wildly important. And just having spent some time with in, in, with other marketers and talking to other people in this in, in in the SaaS space, like maybe I'm wrong, but it does seem that the appreciation for that is lacking. And that's like that's that's what mm-hmm. I'd leave everybody with is like make sure your marketing and sales ops people are are well equipped for success. Make sure they're aligned with the with the goals of the large organization. Make sure they have data visibility into everywhere they need to go. Make sure they have agency to go to the marketing team and say, this isn't working. This is what I noticed. Or to the sales team and said, you know, so-and-so is better at doing such and such than the other person. Like, let's figure out how to, you know what I mean? Like they yep. have visibility into all that, but they need to be incentivized and activated to preach that gospel throughout the organization. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think there's still too many silos, vertical silos across marketing and sales. People are focused on uh, narrow KPIs and then handing off. And from, from my experience, these great ideas that can get you that five, that extra 5% lift from, let's say a lead to MQL, or or they can improve a conversion rate from 1% to one and a half percent on a landing page. These can come from anywhere, and yeah. often they come they come from unexpected places. 100%. But you have to have people that that care enough to think about it, which means that they they've got to get out of their silo. Yes, and they need to feel like, hey, if I'm gonna, my ideas are welcome, and I can contribute. And I, I actually I spotted something where there's there's a lot of friction right here, and nobody caught this. I think I'm going to bring it up, and and maybe we can nudge the conversion rate up here. I'm always surprised at where these ideas come from, and a lot of times they they come. Not from marketers, <laughs> from, from just from other people. And sometimes you just, the marketers scratch their head like, ah, that was common sense. How did we miss that one? But you've got to let everybody look at every part of the process because you just never know. You just never know who's going to have that idea. And you let, let everybody contribute as, in as many places as they can. And they'll feel, they'll feel more ownership that way too. And I think that's even more motivating for those people when they're, when they're not just in a narrow silo with, with some narrow KPIs. Yeah, it's it's great advice, Justin. I, I think um, I'd love love to see more more SaaS companies adopt that too. I, I think that there's a trap to to fall into this the same old structure with the same old acronyms, and um, I I think uh, I like to challenge SaaS companies to think think a little bit differently and challenge the status quo sometimes. Yep, and it's 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 forgivable um, because. <clears throat> Ultimately, with a lot of SaaS, like it's it's a sales process. Therefore, it's a human process. Therefore, it's a very qualitative, instinctual. You know, this isn't. We don't have the luxury that um, Amazon.com has from a just sheer volume and scale. And you know, mm-hmm. like I I would love to know how many split tests. Were ran, yeah, that was just what I was going to say. Ran in hundreds of the last, hundreds running at, at any given moment. In the last 12 months, how, how many split tests have they ran? And then like you think about that, you know, since the dawn of that company, just, you know, read anything about Jeff Bezos. That's not a guy who sweat, who, who, who ignores details. Right. So like, oh yeah, the, the, and the other thing is too, like you go from, I mean, hell they're at the point now where you go from like visit to the package arriving at your door 
And other than the dude who walked from the car to your porch, there might not have been a human hand or voice involved in any of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and like, it's one thing to sit there with your, with your, you know, your master control and twist your knobs and see conversion rates go up and down and all that. When like, you don't have to bring in somebody who maybe they're, you know, maybe they got in a fight with their spouse the night before, or the prospect didn't get a good night's sleep and the, and the discovery call had to get rescheduled. And then it finally did. And zoom broke down halfway through and their boss is chewing them out about, you know, not getting enough proposals or going through security review properly when shopping for whatever nonsense it is. Like Mm -hmm. these are humans trying to do their best. And like, I don't Mm -hmm. fault when a, a rift whether it's there intentionally, it's visible or not between sort of sales, marketing and the, and the whole thing. It, it just happens. And it's just something you have to work at, right? It's just like being married, yeah. right? Like, like marriage is amazing or being a parent. These are all amari- amazing things to do in your life, but it takes a lot of work, you know? It takes a yeah. lot of work to be a good parent. It takes a lot of work to be a good spouse. It takes a lot of work to be a good sales and marketing team. Sure does. All right. Well, Justin, that's a... I think that's a good, good to end on that note. And uh, I, I believe we both have a sh- shared optimism for uh, for what can change. And it's been uh, it's been really a pleasure having this discussion with you. I Thank think, you. Paris. Thanks very much for for Absolutely. your time today. Absolutely, my pleasure. And before before we wrap up, so Justin, where can where can people find you online? Where, what's the best place? LinkedIn, um, Justin Schmidt. Um, if you want to connect with me and and places where my views are not necessarily that of my employer and, and all opinions, no retweets are not endorsements. Um, uh, Jtron nine K on Twitter and Xbox live and PSN and Snapchat. And Inst- I've, I've got that brand locked down. Wow. Um, yeah. I've, whenever a new platform comes out, I immediately create an account, even if I have no intention of using it just so I can keep my username. And just, can you repeat it one more time? Was it J T R O N nine K. Jtron 9K. Wow. Yep. Yeah. That that sounds like it's a future video game itself. Probably. Well, you know, when 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 you when you create your when I created my Steam life. account in two thousand one or whenever the hell it was, like that's what I picked. <laughs> that's cool. All right. Justin, thanks a lot. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, yeah, man. I hope you have a great day and, and um look forward to keeping in touch. Likewise. Cheers. Thanks. Another great episode in the books. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.